You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. We've got a 20-questions version of the podcast coming up today after we uh, break down the news, of course. And there was plenty of it from this last week, buzz around OTAs and the NFL in particular. Uh, We'll start with the league as a whole and then focus our way down to us here in Indianapolis. And uh, some, some... Uh, some bad news off the bat that the NFL lost a couple of its own this past week. Uh, Sad news, I should say, with uh, Arizona quarterback Jeff Gladney, 25-year-old cornerback, uh, killed in a car crash early on Monday morning, and the woman who was in the car with him also died. Former Dallas running back Marion Barber, 38 years old, found dead in his apartment on Wednesday. Cause of death uh, is unknown at this time, but uh, Joe, I know Marion Barber's a name that will certainly pique some uh some fans interest from the past and just being like the fantasy um uh impact that he had several years like people know who he is and not that that makes it any any worse than what happened to jeff gladney a guy who maybe won't quite uh flip the needle quite as much but uh but both obviously sad uh, sad instances around the league this week yeah and gladney you know former first round pick himself uh just 25 years old incredibly tragic and Barber as well, you know, uh, don't know what's behind his death. Um, it sounds like he might have had some issues after retiring. Um, but, you know, without knowing too much about that, I'm not going to speak on that. It's just incredibly sad seeing um, some guys who, you know, still very young in their lives, um, you know, leave leave this earth too early. Pittsburgh defensive lineman, former Notre Dame star Stefan Tuitt is leaving the NFL early. 29 years old, uh, announced his retirement on Wednesday this week, said in a statement after the tragic loss of my brother Richard and upon completing my degree from the University of Notre Dame, I know I am being called to move beyond the sport of football. And uh, he references his brother's death last year in a car crash. Tuitt had 11 sacks in 2020, which was a career high, but he missed all of last year with a knee injury. And uh, that was that's certainly going to be a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers front. And Chap with a little bit of a cold connection this year too is they're set to play Pittsburgh this year on Monday Night Football in week 12 so they won't have uh, to it on the other side of the ball. Yeah, it's funny whenever the schedule come out we always say well this that and the other but you don't know how these rosters are going to evolve with players coming on players moving or players you know you know un- unexpectedly retiring so uh, it's 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 you see these guys leaving and, and they've got their reasons and, and this is a very solid reason you see some guys are retiring for health reasons, a mm-hmm. lot earlier. But, uh, you know, hopefully he's got a great uh, post-NFL life. Colts running back Frank Gore, former Colts running back Frank Gore, rather, is announcing his retirement today, Thursday, as we tape this podcast, intending to sign a one-day contract with the 49ers, uh, according to the uh, beat reporter for the team, uh, Cam Inman, out there. Uh, Gore played three seasons here in Indianapolis, 16 in the NFL, Just a model of consistency chap that allowed him to end his career as the third all-time leading rusher in league history. More than 1,600 rushing yards. Um, Was maybe never considered the best running back in the league, but if you take it over a decade and a half, uh, no one, and especially at a position that right now just chews him up and spits them out, it seems like, and we make fun of Joe all the time for hating running backs just because the, the next one is, is, is a draft away. Like Gore was someone who defied that, someone who worked his butt off to defy that. It's not just like he was naturally, um, even though he certainly was naturally gifted man, but he, he worked, worked, worked at it harder than anyone in order to ensure that in year 13, 14, 15, that he could still go out there and be be a workhorse in the NFL, be an effective running back in the NFL, and uh, the the NFL will miss him. He's he's a guy from from an era that uh, is not was guys like him are, are not not made that often. We'll, we'll put it that way. Yeah, two things about him. He was a guy that in the locker room you always spent time with because he always had good stuff to say. And uh, a lot of it you couldn't use. It was background about the offensive line and certain players. But he, he was always approachable, personable, and gave you quality stuff. Secondly, from being on the Hall of Fame selection committee, I think he is that strange candidate where he's, what, third all-time with 16,000 yards. Mm-hmm. And you think no, – he, he certainly is the first ballot Hall of Famer, but, but at the same time, he was never, and, and this isn't to bash him, 
Was he ever the best running back in the league? Maybe once. I, I don't know. But he just wore your rear end out with 1,100, 1,200, 1,300 yards. And he will probably be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But again, when, when you if you sat here today and listed your top 15 running backs all time, he's probably not on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of I can think of ten off the top of my head, and probably fifteen that you say they're better. But when you've got a guy that does it at that position, like you said, that position, they get hit every play. They get worn out, and you know. And, and nowadays, teams, if they get five years from a running back, you're happy. And and again, he he gave the Colts three good years. We always talked, boy, wouldn't you like to have Frank Gore in his prime? And when the Colts were in their prime, maybe they mm-hmm. they transitioned from Edgerin. To Frank Gore, but uh, quality quality career. Now he can concentrate on boxing, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Also on the on the the uh, retirement front, I think I saw today that uh, yep. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yep, I saw it too. And that's seventeen years. Yep. And he's the guy that you said, well, we want somebody else to be our quarterback. And at some point, it was always Ryan Fitzpatrick. So mm-hmm. uh, losing two guys that that just kind of. Stuck around and did some really good things. Fitz Magic himself. Uh, he was always a threat to come in, Joe, and throw for five touchdowns and be once again a fantasy relevant player for about three weeks, and then he'd hit hit the pine again. Unfortunately, just never never was a starting quarterback consistently in the NFL, um, especially later in his career. He had a couple years where he was kind of the guy here and there, but never locked on for a good long portion of time. But uh, we'll uh, we'll retire as a guy who who made an impact in quite a few different places in the league. Yeah, incredibly entertaining player. I mean, you talk about a YOLO style of football. He would chuck it all over the field, uh, which was fun to watch. Um, the NFL, you know, continues to transition, and uh, it seems like Tom Brady and not a whole lot of other players are still sticking around from that early 2000s era. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll add this about Gore, even though he wasn't, um, wasn't here during the elite years of Colts football. He was here kind of in some some doldrum years. Um, I'll, I'll kind of echo what Chap said that he was a guy that you had to go go to in the locker room was was always approachable. And even in the times though, Chap, when he when he was on the record, uh, we might have to have the bleep button ready. Uh, like Edrin. yes, we, we, they, so. they give you what you want and for, mm-hmm. for the print guys. Oh yeah. Well, I can just I can write through that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the broadcast guys, you had to use the old bleep button. Yeah, but, uh, you, you don't want to go to him live in the locker room after the game. Yeah, that was the one thing you didn't want to do. But he he, he was a prototypical throwback player, and kudos for a great career. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He will. But uh, you know, you just hate to see these guys move on. Colts director of college scouting, Morocco Brown, is going to receive a promotion here in the organization per multiple reports. He's had a couple of interviews over the past couple of years uh, for jobs outside of Indianapolis. But uh, according to uh, Jacina Anderson, he's going to be named the chief personnel executive here in Indy. And um, Mike, this is um, the Colts have been they've tried to cherry pick some guys, other teams. And you look at uh, guys like Ed Dodds, who's had several uh, interviews for general managers elsewhere and guys like Morocco Brown who have had several interviews for positions elsewhere around the league and yet they decide to stay here in Indianapolis and that's not always what you see those guys like th- those jobs GM or there's 32 in the world so you get interviews and you get extended interviews you usually take them if you get an opportunity to move up you usually take it what does that say about these guys and and being here in Indianapolis and that uh, that they have decided to to stay? And hey, the Colts have promoted them, so I'm sure they're getting a little bit of a pay bump to stay here too. So I'll I'll add that to the question as well. Yeah, it just shows you the quality of staff that that Chris Bell has put together. It's kind of like with your coaching staff when you have a good season and and people raid your staff. That's what happened. That's what's happening here with with a lot of these guys and. The, 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 like you said, the odd part is that they're deter- deciding to stay here, mm-hmm. which which e- either the job they were looking at, it was something of a, of a lateral move or whatever, but th- they like, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener. And you have to understand where you are, where you are in your life, and what you have here. And, and Chris Ballard values these people. These are, He brings in people not to be yes men. He wants people to be confrontational, and aggressive, and it just shows you that they've got something good here in the personnel staff. We'll move on to the Colts being into week two of OTAs this week as minicamp is coming next week. 
Uh, nothing new on the Kenny Moore front. Still not participating in the voluntary. But he uh, wasn't here this guess. week. Exactly. That is, that, I guess, a little different. bit new. Yes. He was on the sidelines last week, but this week was not on the sidelines, at least during the time the media was allowed to be out there. Um, still wants a new contract per reports. Uh, now, next week, Joe, you, you've you kind of flushed it out here, according to the collective bargaining agreement, that he could be and will be likely fined if he decides to sit out of minicamp next week. Yeah, it's kind of when things get serious. Yeah. Once he starts sacrificing some of his own money to really make a point of how badly uh, he wants his contract and how serious he is about sitting mm-hmm. out. Um, so that's kind of the first step. I think that moves the needle from yellow to orange. Mm-hmm. And then if he starts sitting out training camp, that kind of moves it to the red area. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's when things get really serious, especially in a new defense with Gus Bradley. You'd like to have your you know, better players, some of your more important players out there to really get acquainted to that new defense. So we have to keep an eye on things. I personally can't blame Kenny Moore for wanting more money. I think he deserves more than $6 million a year based on how valuable and how good he's been. Um, but I understand with two years left on the contract that, that that's typically not how you do business from a team standpoint in terms of re-signing players to new deals. So it'll be interesting to see what gets done. I kind of liked Mike's uh, suggestion last week when we went more in depth on this about maybe just guaranteeing the last two years of his deal, giving him something to say, we appreciate you, we think you do deserve more, but this far out we're not willing to completely give you a whole new contract yet. Um, But next week we'll kind of see how – how serious this whole situation is. It's certainly an interesting position for Chris Ballard to be in. Again, we don't want to get too much into this, especially the Kenny Moore side, but the Chris Ballard side, Mike, maybe we didn't discuss as much a week ago, but to, to have this kind of question or this problem or issue uh, posed in front of him, it lets you know a little bit more about uh, how he decides to do his business because, I mean, if you extend a player with two years left on on his contract, obviously Kenny Moore is a unique player being a pro bowler last year and a valuable member of this team, a leader on this team. But still, if you do that, it, it can open up a can of worms with other players who might want something similar. It's just a precedent you really yeah. don't want to set because, yeah. you know, th- then maybe Darius Leonard, Leonard comes back a, a year earlier than he would or Braden Smith. And we talked, again, without getting too deep into it, we talked, this is an odd situation where both sides have valid points. Yes, Kenny Moore is underpaid. But yes, Kenny Moore was overpaid when he signed the contract mm-hmm. with $18 million guaranteed. And and one thing, like, like Joe mentioned, is he is subject to fines starting next week. And does the team fine him? I mean, I, I would sort of think he, they would, or, or what else? That's your leverage. Right. A player's leverage is to stay away. It's the only it's the only leverage a player in a contract has is to not show up. But then, you know, does, does he escalate it by not showing up? And then does he escalate it more by finding him? So it, it's part of me thinks he'll be here because I think he's made his point. And I don't know how much more of his point he can make because I just don't see the Colts extending a contract with two years. I mean, we, you, we keep coming back to that two years to go. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's it's it, but but it's hard to say. Hey, be patient, because the thing is with a team, you've got you've got your your priorities, you know, on contracts. You've got Quentin Nelson coming up, and then you're going to have, I don't know what Joe had the list last week, a, a dozen players mm-hmm. on the final year of their contracts. Some of them starters. Yep. So you know, Nagakwe and Nagakwe yeah. and Bobby Okereke, yeah. and on and on. And does Paris Campbell stay healthy for an entire right. year? Those so, so there there is a, a, a list of how you do things, and maybe this is one where they say, "Yeah, you are that important, so we will make an exception." But that's just not normally the case. Well, and you got to think. You know, they plan things years out. They're not just taking things a few months at a time. You got to think they at some level have been making financial plans based on what Kenny Moore is currently set to make. Um, so that'll be interesting. He'll, he'll turn 27 in August, so he'll be 29, I believe, by the time his current contract is set to expire. I wonder how that impacts things as well. Maybe he wants to get a new deal now before yep. he's you know, nearly 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand it from both sides, but it's very interesting situation. Because yeah, then the the uh, the chatter behind it is, oh, there's a 30 year old cornerback trying to yeah, get another contract. Yeah, yeah. So so again, like we said, we, we can hear it from both sides for it, sure. For and sure. I'm sure this is going you know a little too far down the rabbit hole, but Kenny Moore seems to have the skills to transition to safety 
if you know he, his physical attributes. Darius Butler sort of did that when he was here. Right. Yes, he did. He, he was a he was a top notch nickel corner, and then he started playing some safety. Yep. So, but we'll, we'll see. And the thing that, that makes it difficult is we've not heard from Kenny Moore, mm-hmm. and. Of course, not being here, he's not available. But if he's here next week and practicing, he needs to talk. Yeah. If nothing else, just to give his sides or not, right. you know, reportedly this is, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, we know, but mm-hmm. give us his side. And he's been generally approachable. Mm-hmm. But th- this is one where you need the player's side about what, what's going on. Some other players not participating at OTAs include uh, defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, who works out mostly on his own throughout the offseason. He should probably be here next week for um, for uh, minicamp. Justin Houston did this several right. years ago. He, right. They prefer working on their own. And Yannick's familiar with Gus Bradley. He is, very Stevens. much so. Also, safety Kari Willis. Uh, reason, reason for his absence has not been disclosed yet. Uh, if after you draft a guy like Nick Cross, and some people see the writing on the wall, that Kari Willis might be out. That's not contract-related. All, all, all yeah. I've been told is not contract-related. Okay. It's more personal. Okay. So that's, I don't want to say it's less of a concern, because right. if it's personal, it's serious. It's yes. But uh, it, it, they're different. They're, they're different situations. Okay. Last thing I want to add, you know, I don't want to, I don't know what's going on with Willis, or, or I don't want to really trash any of these guys, but I, I do think I would like to add the context of, I remember Jim Irsay, um kind of saying at the end of last year, guys who want to win will be here during the summer, um, be here at Grand Park. So I just think it's interesting some of the players not here. I get Yannick wasn't here last year when all that debacle went down in mm-hmm. Clown Town, um, but... All in all, I, th- I kind of agree with them. I think the Colts are in a revenge-type year where they need to get together and really put the pedal to the floor. Darius Leonard is also not participating in uh, OTAs, which you mentioned. He is uh, dealing Th- This could be an entire program. This could be, yeah. We could easily go in-depth in and talk for 60 minutes on Darius alone. Um, Frank Reich said the team is being cautious, and I think even overcautious. Um, he said, so, quote, sometimes when you're going through something and you give it a lull and you can't get over a hump, you want to get past, you've got to stop and pause and say, why aren't we getting over this hump? And that's a little bit of what it is with Darius, end quote, and talking about his injury in particular. Now, Darius, being the uh, very reserved person that he is, of course, uh, tweeted something out that, uh, that I retweeted and uh, threw a little thread together about um, Darius retweeted a, an account that pointed out that he's the only NFL player since 2018 with 10 plus sacks, 10 plus interceptions. N- no argument, obviously. His production on the field has been tremendous. Even last year, when he was playing through this ankle injury, week after week, had to barely practice just to make it to the games and do Lord knows what to be able to go out there for 60, 70 plays. That was after surgery in June. Right. And that was after a June surgery last year. Um, Darius so retweeted that saying, without doing an OTA, yet they still, never mind, keep talking, I'm working. So Darius, once again, is drumming up the no No one believes in me, the disrespect. It's a yearly thing uh, with Darius, and it has certainly worked to some tremendous results in the past, excuse me, Um, but, uh, but Mike, it is still a little bit more, more of the same from the past of Darius Leonard that uh, he he always uh, he always takes whatever he can in terms of even uh, a shadowing a shadowy uh, figure of disrespect we will say and uh, turns it into the worst thing in the world that uh, is used to motivate him to to be the player that he is. I, I, and we were talking before we went on the air. I defy anyone to find since he's been here. One, two, three articles, locally generated articles, trash on Darius Leonard. They're not there because he's given us no reason um, because of how he's played. And, and you know, the only thing that we've been critical of probably is the vaccination status, but that's we're not going down that rabbit hole. What, what we have to keep our eye on and not be deflected by his disrespect and this, that, and the other is this ankle still is an issue. And they're doing absolutely nothing to soften concern. I don't know. I mean, I would be at DEFCON 3 right now mm-hmm. just because we're, what, a shade over five months out from the season and he's not practicing right. for a reason. And <laughs> you can't compare injuries, of course, 
Julian Blackman is. He tore his Achilles. Uh, Two totally separate things, and all Julian's doing is is positional stuff. But it's just a concern when you see him not practicing, and more than that, both Darius himself, you know, it's attached. You know, that that was his first con. It's attached. And he didn't totally rule out surgery perhaps being necessary. I mean, he didn't go very far on it. But then when Frank says, well, you know, you, you hit that lull and you hit a bump and you can't get over it, so there's a concern. Anyone who, sa- anyone who thinks says there's not a, some level of concern, I, I don't know where you're, you're coming from. So it's a concern, and, you know, does he participate next week? I don't know. If not, then we get to training camp, and is he not practicing again? Or do we get out of, tra- out of this mini camp next week, and then we find out that he has more surgery in June? So it, it, it's a concern because he's not practicing, and it's a concern because the team and Darius is not really alleviating the concern. You mentioned Julian Blackman is participating in, uh, in OTAs right now, which is uh, the opposite of the concern. It, it's, Colts fans should be thrilled about this, and from those who have interacted with me on Twitter, they are. Um, Tours Achilles on October 20th last year on the last play of the last session, the last part of practice um, that day, uh, just six weeks from the end of the season. And uh, Frank Reich also says it is, quote, not a stretch, end quote, that Blackman could be a full go by the start of training camp. Um, Joe Blackman has had a really good, I think, solid first two years um, out of Utah as the safety there in the back end and um, as a guy that can really be an eraser back there and can be a ball hawking free safety. He, he seems like a really, he's a, he's a unique guy in that he's, he has a wide ranging skill set back there. You can ask him to do several things and he seems to be pretty good at it. So um, he, he rehabbed pretty well from his torn ACL uh, to make it as a rookie and play in 15 games. I think it was, uh, I think he just missed the first game and then boom, he was out there. Um, and then now this year he's rehabbing from an Achilles. He kind of spoke about that this week saying, you know what? I, w- I went through it once. I know how to rehab. I can do it again, even though I don't want to do it again. Uh, I, I know the process it takes to get back. So uh, to see him out there on the field and even just going through drills is, is an incredibly encouraging sign. Yeah, it's it's amazing how far we've come in you know medical science when it comes to Achilles. Achilles not too long ago, five, ten years ago, used to be basically a career ender. And now we're seeing guys come back from Achilles, you know, within less than a year, just a few months. Cam Akers was six months, yeah, five yeah, months. That's yep. absurd. Um, and then Julian Blackman, uh, I believe the start of training camp, which is late uh, July, would be roughly eight months from when he tore the Achilles on October 20th. Um, and then, you know, they, they signed enough safety depth that they can bring him along slowly and mm-hmm. really make sure he's all the way back or as much as he can be by the time the season starts. Um, Several players have talked about those first few months to a year after the Achilles. It's really hard to get all your explosives back. Eric Eric Fisher talked about that. Big time. Eric Fisher. And then it's going to matter even more out of a safety who has Mm -hmm. to jump and make plays out of balls. Yep. Um, So we'll see how much of an impact Julian can make this year in terms of him being all the way back to his prior self. Achilles is far more serious than ACL tear. Um, but it's very encouraging that he's already out there getting some activity in. And if this guy can come back and be what he was in prior seasons, that's a huge boost to the Colts secondary and defense as a whole. You're always looking for more playmakers, Chapman, on the defensive side of the ball. That's why you go out and you sign a guy like Yannick Ngakwe on, on the defensive line, obviously. But uh, you have Darius Leonard there, assuming that he's healthy enough for playing, which we've talked about already. And you have Kenny Moore, who's had a couple of four interception seasons in a row. If you can get uh, a, a playmaker back there on the back end and Julian Blackman, that just adds another level that is really a threat to uh, either take the ball away, make a big play, and just kind of expands that the danger zone, I guess, if you, if you will, on defense. Because lately it's been mostly kind of focused in the middle with Darius Leonard and uh, DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore. Um, but just the more playmakers you have, the more dangerous you are, the less that other teams can do to attack you. Yeah, keep in mind that re- remember that Ballard drafted him in the third round with him coming off the ACL. Right. And that first year, remember the the, the Cincinnati game he seals with the interception against mm-hmm. Burrow? 
And then I'd forgotten, but went back and looked. The Green Bay game in overtime. Yep. He knifes through two blockers and forces a fumble mm-hmm. that leads to a victory. So that's what you want. This league, we've talked, this league is about playmakers. Mm-hmm. Hey, 15 tackles are great, but did you make a play? You know, the forced fumbles by Darius, by interceptions by Kenny Moore, sack fumbles. You know, they, they get the, the sack fumble by DeForest Buckner and and Dio uh, against Trevor Lawrence yeah. when they're really driving to, to, to win the game. Almost lost to the Jaguars to, twice to, last to, to year. To win the game for yep. crying out loud. So that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, games are 60 plays, but give me those five plays mm-hmm. that turn a game. And, and this is the talent, the type of talent that does that. That's what we talked about for years with uh, with J.J. Watt. Like, you, you can stop right. him for 55 plays, but if there's those two plays, he'll kill he you. He blows your game yep. up. All right. Uh, some practice reports from this week. Uh, Matt Ryan's looking sharp and uh, getting the ball out quick, hitting his receivers in stride. Paris Campbell looks great. They're all going to be all pros, and the Colts are going to win the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year. It's a, I wish somebody at their OTAs would say, you know, we look like crap. <laughs> I can't believe this. I can't we, we believe we drafted this guy in the first round or these free agents. Everybody looks good. If you don't look good in seven-on-seven, seven, mm-hmm. it's unfair to the defense. It's always funny and when you watch training camp and you get the fans in the stands and it's seven on seven or, or even 11 on 11 with a running a running back will break through and runs for 50 yards and the crowd cheers and, and the linebacker says i don't nail his rear end yeah after two yards uh-huh. it's all built for the offense it is very much so so i hope you look good they do he, ryan looks good looks decisive what struck me again is is he's hitting guys in stride and they're really pointing on Yards after the catch, and boy, that's what that's what Paris Campbell is. Ashton Doolin, uh, Michael Pittman, because I don't think we saw a lot of the run after the catch from Pittman yesterday. There, there were more mm-hmm. high pointing the balls mm-hmm. and all that. So we may see a different style passing in this year. From uh, from from that, I, I, it reminds me of a story like talking about um, saying, "Well, boy, we we look terrible." Uh, it was it was a Peyton Manning Reggie Wayne story, and I forget who told it. Whether it was Peyton or Reg, saying that like in his first OTA or one of his first practices, like he's going out to, from Peyton trying to catch the ball, drops one and like drops two, like the first two balls from from Peyton, and like Peyton had been told all the time, this guy has great hands and blah blah blah. Right. It might have even been a Bruce Arians story because I think Peyton like turned to one of the coaches like. This is the guy you brought. I thought in this here? guy was good. Yeah, like I, I forget who told that yeah. story, but that was like it was it was from one of them just saying that Reg had just this terrible start to uh, to catching the ball, just catching the ball from Peyton in OTAs or like the first time you see him, and and well, well, look what what he turned into. So well, there was one too where when we watched Peyton, Peyton just spoiled everybody mm-hmm. because literally the ball never touched the ground, and there, there was a practice up wherever they were training at the time, either Terre Haute or whatever. And Marvin went over to Tom Moore. Marvin did to Tom Moore and said 250 or 251 or whatever the number was. Mm-hmm. And Tom Moore said, what are you talking about? He said, I had my first drop after 200 and some catches in practice. That's how these guys were. So you hope, and a lot, of, a lot of that has to do with the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, give him a chance to catch the ball. So, and again, hopefully everybody, everybody now is – They've got the right quarterback. They've got the right receivers. But I, I would prefer this as opposed to, boy, you know, there were, there were times during training camp last year after wins went down, you're thinking, holy crap, is this this is what they got? Mm-hmm. Because the ball was always on the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, let's just say it's encouraging. We got 20 questions that Joe Hopkins has put together for us, so I'm going to turn the I've got reins. my buzzer ready, do you? That's right. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I can't wait. My turn Jeopardy the, buzzer. Turn the reins over to Joe and, and let him direct this next segment of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. All right. So I got 20 questions here that I came up with. They're kind of predictive statistical questions. We've kind of talked a lot about, you know, how many wins the Colts will get this year, so we're not going to do stuff like that. Um, I got 10 for the offense and 10 for the defense. We'll start out with question number one. Phillip Rivers had 4,169 passing yards in 2020. Over, under 4,100 pass yards for Matt Ryan this season. So who's going first? Me, me go first? Go ahead. Okay, I'll go, go ahead, first. Dad. So 4,100 yards for Matt Ryan. If you look at his history, you say that that's a shoe-in, right? Because he's hit that number like nine of the last 11 seasons from what I saw. But that's, of course, with Atlanta. It's going to be a little bit different here in Indianapolis. Um, and 
the Colts want to still be a running team. They still want to get Jonathan Taylor the ball over and over and over and over and over again. You mentioned that Philip Rivers just eclipsed 4,100 yards, right? Well, now you also get another game from when Philip was here. So it's not a 16-game season. It's a 17-game season. I think it's right around 41, 4,200 is a really good number. Like, this is one, like, I, looking down all here, there was a couple I was like, yes or no, very clearly. This is one that is a very good number, I think. It's a great, great benchmark because That's Frank Reich, yes, put it at. yes, exactly. Frank Reich admitted last year that they got too run heavy down the stretch, and that could be a reason why Carson Wentz's number dipped down to like thirty six hundred near the end of the year instead of approaching the thirty, uh, the thirty, the, the four thousand yard mark. And the last two games were just bad for everybody. So I'm going to say yes that you eclipse forty one hundred yards. But even if you are a little bit under that, I still think it can be a good year for Matt Ryan, assuming that they are as run-centric as they intend to be. Yeah, over, and, mm-hmm. and maybe by not a lot. He's averaged like 41.80 for his career. Mm-hmm. And again, you've got the extra game, I realize that. But I just think, yes, they're, you know, yes, they're going to accentuate Jonathan Taylor, but they don't want to lean on him like they had to. So I, I think over... Maybe 42, 4,300 would be a reasonable number. I agree. I'd put it at 4,200 if I was going to make a statistical prediction for Mm -hmm. Ryan. Question number two, also related to Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz threw 27 touchdown passes last season. Over, under, 27 and a half touchdown passes for Matt Ryan. I'm going under, and I I think it's uh, it's not – this is not even much of a debate for me. I think it's going to be under – like. Both over the last five years, Matt Ryan's only incre- only tossed more than 27 touchdowns once. Over the last five years, only one Colt has thrown for 27 touchdowns, more than 27 touchdowns. And that was back like five years ago with, uh, with, with, Mr. Luck. with Mr. Luck. So, so I'm saying no, it's going to be under 27 touchdowns. My gut wants to say over, but I, I'll say under. Because 27, you say 27 and 17 games, really? Mm-hmm. You're going to get a touchdown and a half a game. But... I do think it'll be a bit less because I I think they're going to be they're going to be enough run centric to where they they won't now the only thing that could change is if if they start striking and getting these run after the catches that turn into forty yarders mm-hmm. but statistically if my if my money's on it I'd say under maybe Frank Sli- keeps slightly under keeps going for those shovel passes maybe Matt Ryan's good at there those he gets a couple of those and and it just uh, turns the tide toward over we'll see this one was really close I mean if I had to predict I'd probably put him right around twenty. 6, 27. I'm going to go with the over on this one. Uh, I just remember several instances of Carson Wentz just missing people in the end zone, specifically Michael Pittman Jr. Um, so I think Matt Ryan's accuracy is going to be valuable down in the red zone. His anticipation is going to be accurate down there. And he's just got towers to get the ball to in the red zone with Pierce 6-3, Pittman 6-4, Allie Cox. We already talked about Jelani Woods at 6-7. So I'm going to take the over. Uh, question number three, last one on Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz had a higher passing rating, passer rating than Matt Ryan in 2021. Wentz with 94.6 to Ryan's 90.4. But Matt Ryan has higher passer rating over his career. Matt Ryan, 94.2. Carson Wentz, 90.1. Who finishes 2022 with a higher passer rating? Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz? This is another one that was really close to me because they have been so similar. I'm, I'm just trying to get these last five years. Like, you talk about his entire career. Ryan has had a 15-year career. Wentz has had, like, a six-year career. And to be honest, he has had two pretty not-so-good seasons. The 20, like in the, the 70s. The, yes, exactly. And one was his rookie year, which you try to throw out the early stuff in his career. And then, of course, the other one was the very infamous one right before he came to the Colts with the Eagles. That was just deplorable. Um Overall, they, they go back and forth, man, like in, in those other years when you throw out the extremes. Like they are so close to one another in terms of their numbers at the end of the season when it comes to passer rating. Um, I, I think this is a really good question. Um, like, and, and what's happened with Ryan over his years is somewhat ironically, interceptions have brought his numbers down a little bit more than like Carson Wentz has, because Carson Wentz has had those bad seasons where he's had like 15, 14 interceptions, the obviously bad years. Others, he's had a couple years with just six, seven interceptions. 
and that's it in his good years. So he, he's had great years. He's had bad years. Ryan's a more consistent for sure, but more consistently, I hate to use the word average because I think he's an above average quarterback over that time, but you know what I'm saying. He's been more consistent. So it, it really depends on what Carson Wentz you get, I think, in, in Washington, what happens here. And that might be an obvious statement. Um, I'm going to lean toward Wentz, but this is, I, th- I think this is a really good question between these two. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to lean towards Ryan just because he, he's not been a, an interception machine. It's, it's been like 11, 12. I think 16 or 17 might be his high watermark. But I, I think he's less likely to put the ball at risk. And, you know, Wentz had, was it well, 27 and 7? 27 and 7, Chap. Come on. I know that. So, but I, we, you know, we, we saw how there could have been more than seven, although every quarterback, mm-hmm. when you get it, could have been more than 27, too. Correct. That correct. Yeah, there just, you just go. Again. No, there you go. I think, I think it'll be close, but I, I think Ryan, because I, I think he's less likely to put the ball at risk. I'm going to go with Matt Ryan as well for that reason. And also, I, I don't think the Colts are going to like lean on Matt Ryan as hard, whereas Carson Wentz, I feel like. Hero ball might be a little drastic, but I think he kind of likes to take it on himself a little more, whereas Matt Ryan's more of a quarterback who will let the game come to him and kind of take what's there. And with Frank Wright scheming up the plays, he's really good at just getting guys open with uh, space to run after the catch. So I'm going to go with Matt Ryan, but I do think Carson Wentz will have a pretty solid season in Washington this year. All right, uh, for question four, I kind of have a preface. Do we all agree that Michael Pittman Jr. is a heavy favorite to lead the Colts in both receptions and receiving yards? Yes. He'd better. Yes. All right. So with that stated, Michael Pittman Jr. aside, which Colts wide receiver leads the team in receiving yards? Paris Campbell. And that's that's because I'm doing what you're not supposed to do in Vegas. I'm betting on the street to end I, I just I, I sort of agree with Frank Reich where at some point these injuries have to stop. These aren't hamstrings. These aren't the soft tissue. These these are fractures and breaks. I think it's time for him to stay healthy. And if he stays healthy, you're looking at 50 catches and, I don't know, 700 yards mm-hmm. falling out of bed. So I realize I'm putting a lot on a guy that he's giving you no reason to trust. I'm just going to say Paris Campbell. I, I would love it if it's Paris Campbell. And and I, I wrote down Paris Campbell here. If it's not going to be him, I think it's Ashton Doolin that takes a step forward because somebody needs to. And I still think that Alec Pierce has a little bit of ways to go to, to really be a guy that can be relied upon down after down in an expansive route tree. He needs some time to learn the, an NFL offense and to expand it's what he just does. Different. It is. It, it really is. And there are things that he does really well, which is why he's a second round pick. And I think that he will be used in those scenarios. Like, I, I do. I think they'll use him deep. And I think they'll try to use him deep often. But when it comes to game after game, down after down threat, I just don't think he's there yet. And I think Doolin can be a little bit further along there. So if, if it's not Paris, I think it's Doolin. I don't think it's Pierce just yet. I think this is a good representation of the Colts receiving core because we each have a different answer. I'm going with Michael Pierce. Um, Alec Pierce. I'm sorry, that Alec one? Pierce. Just mix them all together. Michael Pierce. Uh, I think Who he might Michael be the running back for the Houston Texans. I have no idea. Drafted. Anyway, Alec Pierce, uh, I think he can put up around 500 yards, similar to what Michael Pittman Jr. did as a rookie. Um, I think he'll do it in a different way than Michael Pittman Jr. did as a rookie. Michael Pittman kind of seemed very... He worked horizontally in his mm-hmm. rookie season, which a lot of Frank Wright's offense does. I think Pierce will be able to hit over the top a few times. But, I mean, I really think something like 500 yards could be, you know, number two on the team in receiving yards. So if you think of the number two player on the team has 500 receiving yards, yet you still think Matt Ryan will throw for more than 4,100 yards well, on well, the season? 500 yards for the number two receiver. Uh-huh. Let's Could have more of a tight end that's up there at no, 6 No, this is tight ends, running backs. No, you said wide receivers. This is which wide Colt, receivers here. Which Colt leads? Okay, say, expanding it, if I misspoke, expanding it. So which Colt, pass catcher, which Colt, period, yes, leads I have, the team in receiving yards? I think yards Pierce will have more then. receiving yards than Naheem Hines and any of the tight ends. So, so you think that Matt Ryan will throw for 4,100 yards, but the number two receiver on the team will only have 500 Correct. Oh uh, boy, you, th- you that, must that, think that, like that, five that, guys are going to have five hundred That's a tough guards. mathematics yeah. to work. I, I think if you go outside of receiver, I think Naheem Hines is going to at least have the most catches, second most catches. And that's Joe's next question okay. right now. 
which was a little bit more wide-ranging. So I think we can get into that next if, Joe, you want to propose this question. Yeah, who, who aside from Michael Pittman Jr., uh-huh. will lead the Colts, the entire team, in receptions? Naheem Hines. Mm-hmm. He's going to catch... 65. The stats say 63 because it was right. 63 as a rookie, right. then and, like 40 Frank something. Pointed that out, didn't he? 63 and then like 40 something. So it's going to be 63 that, catches this that year. That's what Frank said. He said, yep. I was looking at this and every other year, and if I were, you know, if I was drafting. I was a fancy ass owner. So, and they, they know. They, they know they underused him for whatever reason, whether the quarterback didn't look at him, whatever. I keep going back to Marcus Brady saying, we had the plays called, which told me all I need to know. They're going to use him. They're going to use him more as a receiver uh, out of the slot, out of the backfield, and he, he's going to get 60-plus. Does he get to 70? That's Then you're getting into really rarefied air for a running back, but I think 60, 65 is a good number for Naheem. I, I agree. I think Hines right around there between 60. And if he can cross 70, that's fantastic. And I think he can with Matt Ryan. I he absolutely can. He can. think he can do it. And if the Colts want to get him the ball and force feed him the ball, then then they should be able to do it. Which, like, I could talk for 60 minutes on, on the Naheem Hines-Carson Wentz thing. I really could. Like, if you had the plays called and Carson checks out of them or he goes to somewhere else, like, I get it. Like, if you really want to get the ball to Naheem, you say, Carson, you throw the ball to Naheem, you son of a... And then, like... But, but like, I, I think there was some of that. I, th- I think there was that's some... That's the thing. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I, I agree. That's the point I, I'd like to make. Like, that's part of it. Another part of it is... The coaches were not were, were not committed enough to get him the ball to get him the ball. You're the guys in charge. It's Frank Reich. It's Marcus Brady. You have to be able. To, I, I'm trying not to shout right into the microphone, Joe. I, mean, I, you, I got your levels. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry. You, you have to be able to get him the ball if you want him to have the ball. And if your quarterback just doesn't always throw him the ball, you need to pull him aside and say, I don't care what you see out there. Throw him the ball. Like, this is the thing that you can say there's Carson has some problems with it. Yes, I agree. But you're the coaches. You're the ones in charge. Get him the ball. But I think that was part of the frustration last year is they did do that. Like they called the plays maybe. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying that then that following week when they didn't get involved, they said, Carson, get the ball to Naheem Hines. And I think I think more than once they went to him and said, "Listen, throw the ball to twenty-one," and it didn't keep happening. That's where I was told there was some coachability issues, and I think that's part of what it was. We're never going to hear the, the right. story, but get not this like, isn't this isn't like run the damn ball, right? But it's throw the damn ball to Naheem. You, you look back, I look back, and I, I just see instances in the in the season like, you know, you dump the ball off to Jonathan Taylor and he goes 80 yards, you know, again, against the Ravens. Like, so it's not like Carson never throws the ball to running backs. Like, right. there are reasons that he does, and I'm sure there are reasons that he doesn't. And, and, and I think you make a good point. I just, I wanted to get my, my, my thoughts on the situation out there. What game so. was it? Uh, Frisco game in the rain? Yeah. The head he hunt. could have had a touchdown. Oh, my God. What would have been 70 yards? I mean, it was. Yeah. Which we yes. we seldom see him drop the ball. Right. So we're going to see Naheem more uh, again. These guys aren't st- – it's, it's funny because Frank Wright was criticized last year mm-hmm. for not using Naheem Hines more. Right. This is the same guy that called the plays in the 60-plus right. reception. So yes. It, so he so a lot of things before. went into it Yes. that will change this year. Okay. I agree. I'm the third one. I think Naeem Hines will catch a lot of passes. I'll also just say on the whole 4,100 yards and receiving thing, when Phillip Rivers threw for 4,100 yards, second leading receiver was Pascal with 600. So I don't think it's that crazy to say okay. that your second leading okay. receiver could have 500 yards. Okay. Um, All good. In the hood. I think the math checks out. <laughs> anyway, right. Mo Ali Cox. Next question. Question number five. Mo Ali Cox. Led Indianapolis tight ends in receiving yards each of the past two seasons. Which tight end leads the Colts in receiving yards this season? Mo. I, go ahead. Mo. Simple. Mo. I like Kylan Granson. I think he's the only one. He's the one flying below the radar right now. I, Everyone's agree, talking agree, about agree. everyone else. Everyone's talking about Jelani Woods. Exactly. Jelani, Jelani, Jelani. And, and Kylan Granson's just going to creep up and be the guy I think that Matt Ryan finds more often than not. I like Kylan here. What do you like, Joe? You got Kylan? Here? Yeah, I got Kylan. I'll go with Mo Alley-Cox, right. uh, just because I think he's going to be more of the every-down starter. He'll mm-hmm. be out there when there's only one tight end He'll on the, the field. He'll be the in-line guy for sure. He'll be blocking for, for JT the entire game. And it's probably, you know, the Colts are going to rotate the three tight ends. It's probably only going to take like 350 yards to lead the Colts' tight ends. Well, keep in mind, too, that, that if my guy, Paris Campbell, stays healthy, 
then Kylan Granz's numbers should go down because his opportunities will be less. You're true. probably right there, yeah. But boy, I tell you, you look at that tight end group, and you see all these guys that are six five. You know, all of a sudden, Mo Ali Cox is not the tallest guy. And then you look out there, and you see number eighty three Granson. He's a receiver. I mean, he he he's not the tallest receiver. It seems like so. It, it's a good mix, but I just think the way the the, the group is mixed, it may be tough for Granson. Although Granson is probably going to average the most per catch because because of how he's going to be using the offense. Probably so. Yeah. All right. Question number six. Jonathan Taylor had more receiving yards than Naheem Hines in 2021. 600, or sorry, 360 for Taylor, 310 for Hines. Who will have more receiving yards this year, Taylor or Hines? You hope it's Hines for sure. I think we all agree on this. Yeah, like JT might have beat him last year, but he was just, he was underutilized. We can all agree on that, at least, in the the grand scheme of things. And it'll be opportunities. Yes, I agree. Hines. I think it'll be close because, I mean, Taylor can bust off an 80-yard. That's the yeah. difference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which Hines can too, but I think Taylor has more of that capability. I think it'll be close. I'm going to go with Hines just because I predicted Hines to lead the team in receptions. So if that happens, he's probably going to have more receiving yards. Non-Michael Pittman Taylor. category. The non-Michael Pittman right. Jr. category, mm-hmm. correct. Um, all right. Taylor led. Jonathan Taylor led the NFL with 1,800 rushing yards last season. The only player to have back-to-back 1,500-yard rushing seasons over the past 15 years is Derrick Henry, who did, did such in 2019 and 2020. Will Taylor surpass 1,500 rushing yards this year? No. That's hard to do, and I think you just pointed it out. Like, 1,500 is a big number. It really is. And you can have 1,400 yards and still have a tremendous season, an all-pro caliber season. I think that just shines a light on the special year that Jonathan Taylor had last year. But also, like I was looking back on this, like when running backs hit that number, a lot of times they're in the early 2000s or the 90s, like they got them in spurts. Like mm-hmm. Barry Sanders had four in a row. He's insane. Uh, guys like uh, Adrian Peterson had two. Emmett had three. Like they came in spurts where they hit them together. Tiki Barber randomly had a couple of them in a row, and he had a couple in a row at, right before his, his career ended. Yeah, that's so, why I capped it at 15, because yeah, so, once I got to that point in the right. NFL, there were several players who, yeah. who were doing this. So, so I, I think it's very possible that he could. I'm just leaning toward no, because I think it's a mammoth number in today's NFL to do it two years in a row, I think is unlikely. I'm, I'm saying yes for two reasons. Edgerns was, was the last cult to do it. Yes. In four and five. Yes. Uh, I, I think... The 1,500 yards is 88 yards a game. And I think what you're going to get from Jonathan Taylor is 75, 90, 80, 180. He's going to hit you four times with, with those monster games. And I, I think I think 1,500 yards would be just not out of the ordinary because of the way he's going to – because of the big runs he has – in the big games he has, I just, I can't see him having a lot of those eighteen carries for forty yards. That's not who he is. So I think he gets fifteen hundred yards just because of the style of game he plays. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes as well because I'm gonna follow my heart. If I was using my <laughs> brain, I would say under, especially because you know uh, I'm knocking on wood or whatever I can here, but. There's a decent chance Jonathan Taylor misses at least a game or two this year. I mean, running back. What, you missed one game? Uh, COVID? If, I yeah, think he's yeah, missed, missed one game with COVID. Yeah, I don't I think, think he has right. any due to injury right. so far, and, that, and that's extremely rare. So if you're going by odds of that, I think there's a chance he misses a couple games this year. But my official answer is yes, because Jonathan Taylor is just a special player who might be able to kind of kind of transcend what, you know, tra- traditional yes. wisdom. Yes. Might and say. he's making you a fan of running backs. That's right. I'm a big fan of this. <laughs> I'm a fan of running backs. I'm just not a huge fan of paying them. I saw a question. <laughs> we'll, we'll visit that in two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's not even eligible for an extension right. yet. We'll Thank see goodness. how we feel then. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Question. Final question here for the offense. Colts have given up an average of 28.3 sacks per year over the last. Three seasons. They gave up 32 last season, 21 in 2020, and 32 again in 2019. Over under 28 and a half sacks allowed this year. 
This depends on if you can find something at left tackle, to me. Completely depends the, on that. You, you can cover up deficiencies on your line. It's tough to cover up a deficiency at left tackle. It is. I was looking to Matt Ryan going back in sacks. Four, Nine of the last ten years. I think 40, 41, 48, 42, 37, 44. And that's not saying anything about the, like the, the Falcons' offensive line has not been great, but it also speaks a little bit to him at the same time. They're going to do as much as they can to limit that with, with the quicker drops and the quicker throws and more timing. I think the offensive line is going to be better, mm-hmm. although I'm still concerned at left tackle. But and as long as you got a question at left tackle, I'm going to say over 28 and a half just because uh, because I think I have issues at left tackle. I, I agree with Mike. I think it's going to be close again, like right around that number. But it just, just based on history, like I, I wanted to say under for this because I really do think the rest of the offensive line has a bounce back year. Quentin Nelson in particular, he's not going to be as bad as he was last Brayden year. Brayden Smith was, was hurt injury. most of the year. He was. He actually turned around really at the end of the year and was having a tremendous second right. half of the season. Correct. But like when, when you're trying to move things around a little bit in the middle, get Danny Pinter involved there maybe as your starter, like it, there's, there's going to be, I think, some growing pains there. And so, so I'm, I think it hits the over. But I wouldn't be surprised if the under hits either. But I, I don't I, think I they get to 40. Over. Yeah, I don't think it hits 40, though. No, that would be, that'd be disastrous if it hit 40. Yeah, I, I'm going <laughs> to – they might bring in Eric Fisher if they get close to 40, um, who's still a free agent, by the way. I, I'm going to go with under but just because – I think Matt Ryan is going to play in a very similar fashion to the, what Phillip Rivers did in 2020 when the Colts gave up just 21 sacks. I get Anthony Costanzo is not the left tackle anymore, but I think I'm the most confident of anyone on this podcast and Matt Pryor. Um, so I think left tackle will at least be average to very, you know, slightly above average this season. Um, and I think he's going to get the ball out quick. So I'm going to go with under the 28 number. If I had to guess, I'd say maybe 25. Moving on to the defense, DeForest Buckner has led the Colts in sacks each of the past two seasons. Who leads the Colts in sacks this year? Kenny Moore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's going to be Yannick Ngakwe. That's who I'm it's going It's got to be. Yeah. I mean, D- it, ditto. Ditto. It, it's, you know, I'd like to see Quiddy pay, but no, they, they, they brought Ngakwe in for a reason, and it's to get you 12, 14 sacks. Well, that's kind of the role he pay, plays on the defense, too, and that Leo just pin your ears back and go. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, second defensive question. Over the past five seasons, Justin Houston is the only Colt to record double-digit sacks. He had 11 in 2019. Will a Colt rec- record 10 or more sacks this year? You're obviously leading toward unique if this is possible. Um, I'm, I'm saying no. I think 9.5 is still good again, but... To, to hit 10, I, I'm, I'm leaning toward no right now. I, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't, think he hits, I don't think he hits 10. I think he needs to hit 10. He needs to hit 12. That's what they brought him in for. He's still young. What's the stat? He's one of only three players with, is it eight? It's eight, eight or more over the past six seasons. Right, and it's you know Von Miller and Aaron Donald. So I, I think they're, they're going to, as much as they, this team in the past has featured Darius Leonard and, and found a way to maximize him, they're going to do that with Ngakwe. So I'm not saying 16, 18 sacks. I, 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 I'm expecting 12 anyway. I'm going to agree with Mike on this one. I think um, either Yannick, Buckner, or Quiddy hit 10 or more just because between those three players on the defensive line, it's going to be very hard for offenses to double team. Uh, I mean, Buckner was just get, getting hit with constant double teams, and he still approached double-digit sacks each of the past two years. I think he had nine and a half in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're double-teaming Buckner less because they're paying attention to Yannick or not paying as much attention to Yannick or because of Buckner, I think someone on the Colts gets to 10. All right, question number three. Multiple Colts have reached eight-plus sacks in the same season just one time over the past 10 years. That was DeForest Buckner and Justin Houston in 2020. Will multiple Colts record eight-plus sacks this year? I, I like this question a lot. I think it could very well be yes. If it's, uh, if it's on the outside with Ngakwe getting eight or nine, and then on the inside with, uh, with DeForest getting eight or nine. So I, I think there's a good chance this happens. I, I also like it. This isn't a question, but I think a really interesting one could be who has more sacks, Quiddy Pay or Dio Adangbo, because I might lean toward Dio in that right now. Um, I know maybe more people would lean toward Quiddy because he's probably going to be out there a little bit more. 
but I'm really eager to see what Dio can do this year. I just wanted to throw my opinion out there real quick because I know it's kind of it's not on the list, but nevertheless, this is kind of the 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 uh, the, the place to say it. So anyway, Chap, uh, what about you? Uh, eight plus sacks for multiple Colts this year. Yeah, because again, I'm expecting that from Ngakwe, and I'm expecting that from Buckner. He's given you what is it? At least seven and a half. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in the guy on the outside that demands attention, you're going to get something in the inside. And I agree with Dave. I, I you really want to as much as Paris Campbell is a wild card on offense, Dio is on defense because you really don't know. We talked to him. Was it last week? He's a massive human being, by the he, way. He 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 looks the Force Buckner in the eye. Yeah. He, and, and he's probably maybe he's maybe he's a tad heavier. I don't know. Heavier is not the right word. Thicker, stronger. But uh, we've not seen what this kid can do, and we're going to get a chance to see it this year. I'm going to say yes as well. Kind of similar to what I said for the prior question between Quiddy, Buckner, and Yannick. I, I I mean I think there's a chance all three of them could have eight plus. That would be amazing and incredible. But I think at least two of those three get to eight plus. All right. Next question. A different player has led the Colts in total tackles each of the past three seasons. Bobby O'Karake did so last year. Darius Leonard did it in 2020. And then Anthony Walker led the Colts in tackles in 2019. Who leads the Colts in tackles this year? So twice it's been that uh, middle linebacker, the Mike position, with, uh, with Bobby and then with uh, Anthony. Walker. Yes. So And Darius did it once. I, I, I think Darius is the guy. Um, I, I'm leading toward him, but you can make a great argument, I think, for Okereke to sneak in here and do it again. I'm going to say Okereke just because that's sort of what they want out of him. And, and I don't trust Darius's ankle. I, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. if he's 100%, then he's out there doing all this. But I, I think they look at, at Darius as, as being that turnover guy and, and maybe mm-hmm. more in coverage and, and whatever. Uh, I, I think the position calls for Okereke to be the guy. I think that's a good point. Like, if he's not 100%, he's not, like, as much as he does play like a maniac and chases down plays, he's not going to be in well, look, the look thick at of it, as many look, plays. Look at his tackle total as the first four or five games last year. Yeah. Five, six, four. So it's, yep. but, but Okereke's in more of the position yes. to where it's more natural to get him. I'll agree with Okereke for the reasons Mike said. I, I will add that we'll see if it works exactly that way with, Gus Bradley's new defense this year. I think it'll be very similar um, with how the linebackers are used in that fashion. I think Okereke ends up with more tackles. Um, question number five here for the defense. Kenny Moore had more tackles for a loss last year than Darius Leonard. Uh, six for Moore, four for Leonard. Who has more tackles for a loss this season? But the previous three years, Darius had more. I'm leaning toward Darius. Same. Agreed. I think that's what the one is. Joe trying to throw us off with his stat before the question. This is one of those questions where, you know, I was like, God, I got to get to tw- 10. <laughs> I got to get to 20 questions here. Uh-huh. Um, so, so 14 I, tackles for loss for Kenny Moore. Bring him on the corner blitz three times a game. I think he'd be very effective at that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think Darius gets it again. Okay, here's another one. Either Darius Leonard or Kenny Moore has led the Colts in interceptions each of the past four seasons. Which Colt leads the team in interceptions this year? Not just Darius or Kenny, but any Colts. It's a good question because he gets Stephon Gilmore coming in. He's had a couple at five and six in his career in his uh, in his one year with the Bills before he got the big payday. Then with his uh, what's it called? His defensive player of the year uh, year with the the, the Patriots. His depoy. Yeah, but uh, Kenny, like I, I'm 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 going to give it to Kenny right now because he's had four of the last two years. He's been just more consistent lately. And hey, if he's playing for a new contract, he's going to be uh, he's going to be very motivated to to get four, five, or six again. So I'm going to Kenny. Agreed, and also being in the slot, I think you have more opportunities to do that. So I think I think it's Kenny Moore. It better not be Darius Leonard. I mean, for, because because for interceptions. If, yeah, you're right. If your linebackers lead you interceptions, there's something wrong with everybody else. It's really close. I'm going to go with Darius. He's had five. One year earlier in his career, I mean, uh, I think if your linebacker leads a team interceptions with five, there's nothing wrong with that. He's had four. He's had three. Um, so I'm going to go with Darius just because I'm not exactly sure how Bradley will use the slot cornerback role this year. I think, I mean, it was a really a toss-up between Kenny and Darius, but I'm going to lean Darius. 
Um, all right, next question. Also a Darius-related question. Between forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and interceptions, Darius Leonard created a career-high 14 turnover plays in 2021. Over under nine and a half turnover plays for Darius this season. You see, you could have just like seven, like five or six forced fumbles, two or three fumble recoveries, two interceptions, and still be like under there. That's a really, really good year. Last year, Darius was tremendous at forcing these turnover plays. Absolutely tremendous. And the fact that he did it on a bum ankle makes it even all the more impressive. And which is kind of what I tweeted out in my, uh, what's it called? My, my thread about Darius's comment uh, earlier that, that, that's on Twitter. You can check us out at Dave G underscore sports, at mchapel51, at Rota Street Joe, by the way. And together we are at Colts Blue Zone. I'm going to go under nine and a half turnover worthy plays. But once again, if he goes over, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I say under just because last year was such a, an aberration, a, a great aberration. But like Dave said, you can have all these numbers and still not get there. I, I say under. I'm going to go under as well because the previous three seasons he had eight, seven, and eight. So this is the only year that he's been above. Darius is going to get this and print it out and post it in his locker uh, for uh, for more uh, if Darius listens motivation. To this podcast, I'd be happy with that <laughs> just right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, honestly, I hope he does just trash us on Twitter. That'd be great for publicity. There we go. Anyway, uh, next question here. We got three more. Colts' goal every season is 40 takeaways. They had 33 last year. The last team to reach 30 takeaways in back-to-back seasons was the Buffalo Bills in 2013 and 2014. Will the Colts reach 30 takeaways in 2022? I have to say no, because you're learning a new system, and then if we're saying the Darius isn't going to hit the big 14 number, it's just going to be unlikely to happen, so no. Agreed. They could have a very, very good season defensively and not get 30. Yeah, I, I'm going to be there. So I wanted to say yes so badly because this defensive unit, at least on paper, is even better than last it year. It should Correct. be more talented, yes. Um, and so that almost made me say yes. But just statistically, it's so hard. Like like I said, 2013, 2014 was the last time that's happened. And there's been very good defenses in back-to-back seasons to not accomplish that feat. So I, I still think they finish in the high 20s, but maybe not past that 30 threshold. Yep. Uh, second to last question. The Colts allowed three 100-yard rushers last season. Derrick Henry did it once, Elijah Mitchell, and Leonard Fournette. Notable rushers they face in 2022 include Henry, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Najee Harris, Antonio Gibson, and Josh Jacobs. Over under three and a half 100-yard rushers allowed in 2022. It's a great number. Again, this is another one of those really close ones, three and a half. Um, I'm, I'm going to lean toward the under because like you, you talk about, uh, Jacobs and Eckler and, and completely, there's a great running backs that, that division is going to be just a pass, pass, pass division. I think Eckler could hit, kill them through the air and get a hundred receiving yards through the air. I would be more surprised if he rushes for a hundred yards than, than catches a hundred yards against them. That's just one example, but I'm going to go under. Uh, I think they, maybe Derek Henry gets one or two of those. He may, he may get two of them. Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to hit the under. I'm going to say over. Because I that the the hundred yard rushing game that that was a cornerstone of Fluce's defense is not allowing it. We don't know how that's going to be with Bradley. I'm just going to say over again, somewhat because I don't know what the defense is going to be as far as against the run. But again, with with the people that you've talked about, when I consider Derrick Henry's going to get two because he always gets <laughs> two when he's healthy. I like the number, but I'm going to go over. From, from what I saw last year, the Raiders allowed three. Again, so right around that number. They allowed Eckler to hit 100. They yeah, allowed I'm not jo- saying, yeah, I'm, Joe Mixon and then Jonathan Taylor. Was they're the not going to give up 150 yards a game. Right, no. But I, I, no. Just, I just don't know that they're going to be as con- committed yeah. against the run as they've been in the past. This was tough for me. I'm going to go with the under. Um, they have some very talented rushers that they're facing this year. But like Dave said, um, a lot of these running backs might do more damage through the air. Might you know have a hundred total yards or 150 total yards. Calvin Cook can hurt you. Calvin yeah. Cook can hurt you. New offense coming to uh, Minnesota. Um, Saquon Barkley, but he might be a better you know receiver. Out Who of knows what he's going to be this yeah. year? Who right. knows? And then injuries might take toll as well. I, the one interesting, I didn't list it on the you know list of rushers, but Philly. They're playing Philly as well, and Miles Sanders can go for 100 on you. Or he can get two carries. 
You never don't know. get me started about he's, Miles he's Sanders. He's got Marlon Mack. Uh, yeah. Jalen yeah. Hurts. Marlon Mack, 100 Marlon yards. Mack. Oh, um, so if Nick Sirianni comes in and Marlon Mack runs for 100 yards against the Colts, right. good Lord. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So um, Joe's like, I don't even want to entertain that thought. Go on. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to go with the under just because I think, like I said, this is the best Colts defense they've had in quite some time. They've done very good against the rush in the past with not the same coach, but the similar personnel. So I'm going to go with under. All right. Final question here as we wrap things up. The Colts have finished top 10 in points allowed three of the last four seasons. Will the Colts have a top 10 scoring defense this year? I, I like I, I think I'm gonna go with yes, and it's kind of piggybacking a little bit on on your comment saying that this is a more talented defense in the past. I think that the talent can get them to be a better a good top 10 scoring defense. But just in terms of the takeaways, I'm not sure if if, if the talent uh, equates to that necessarily. If that makes any sense, like it gets yeah. one, not really quite they as much. Be as the a other. better defense, but yeah. not have as many turnovers. Right. So, so I th- I think that at the end of the year they're going to be a top ten scoring defense. So I'm saying yes. And a lot of it's because what we've talked about in the past is, is the changes they've made. You brought in a better pass rusher, and then you're going to get more out of your young guys. And you you brought in the who's been a top level corner. And we like what we see from Julian Blackman and Isaiah Rogers. I, I think they'll. I think I'm not saying top five. I think they could very easily be a top ten. I'll go defense. with yes as well. It's really close because a few of those years were like they were ranked ninth or yeah, tenth, they're right on the edge. You know, right on the edge there. Uh, a little bonus question: top five defense in scoring? No, I'm going to no. say I'm no. not going there. No, I'm not going to give them that quite yet. Maybe next year. I think it'll be close. I don't know. Joe wants it. As a homer, I'll say yes. There you go. But. Um, but, yeah, it'll be close. Hey, that was 20 questions on the Colts. We appreciate you listening to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. As always, subscribe. Get us downloaded to your podcast listening device as soon as it drops week after week here throughout the offseason. We'll be back next week with a mini camp version of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Appreciate you listening. See you next week.